Vegas takes over. Smith comes out to the neutral zone. Deals right. Marshall fires. He scores! Live from the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com. Smith to Marshall. Four to two Golden Knights. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team. Exclusive player interviews and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas, Wallace, McCormick, and Chapman, live inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports, Las Vegas studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215, home of the... And Chapman didn't scare Brian McCormick off. Like, Not a that bit. Is, that is pretty awesome. <laughs> this I'm this is what I missed in the first. You came back. This is what I missed in the first three minutes yesterday, huh? And egg salad sandwich well, conversations. It, we we bring a lot of energy. Chapman really likes to woo, and that's how we open the show. So it's yes, you get the full opening of the show experience. Hopefully today I'll get the full closing of the show experience. <laughs> Technical difficulties behind us and you're back for day number two like i'm i'm very much excited that you came back that you wanted to be here again on a tuesday oh it was just so much fun i mean all they asked uh, around the office well how was the show yesterday i was like well we sat down and talked hockey for two hours so it's pretty much what i do in my drive home uh and then the second hour my fiance <laughs> has to suffer through so better to uh to, to do my, my hockey confessional with you, uh, Ryan. And I was also a little nervous and said, well, what are we going to talk about tomorrow? But uh, the hockey gods have given us a lot more content for today. You know, it's amazing to me how much news we're getting, but I, I don't think we should be that surprised given the expansion draft is just eight days away and kind of that first shoe drops today in terms of a team that makes a move because of the upcoming expansion draft and the Seattle Kraken. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot there's a lot more going on just in terms of the NHL. We've got a lot to go in this program. We're going to talk about the, the end of a career for Pecorine mm-hmm. and really answer some of those big vital questions about what's next for the Nashville Predators and where Pecorine stands among the NHL's great goaltenders. Uh, We've got a lot to get to in one-timers. It's going to be a fun one. A lot of speculation going around the NHL right now in terms of what teams are going to do because of the expansion draft. But one team did quite a lot today. This is going to be a fun story to really sink our teeth into. The Minnesota Wild are buying out Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. Of course, both players signed matching 13-year, $98 million contracts back in 2012. Are you at all surprised, Brian, to wake up today to the news that both Parise and Sutter would be bought out? Very, very surprised that both Parisi and Suter are, are bought out. You know, I think we all kind of saw that Zach Parisi, this is going to be an option for Minnesota, particularly with yeah. his uh, his utilization in the playoffs. Uh, and again, Zach Parisi didn't have his best statistical season this year in a season that was really tough circumstances for anybody. It's hard to take anybody's up or down numbers uh, at face value this year, but he was having a bit of a down year, and in the playoffs he was not uh, an option for them initially in their series against VGK. 
Um, so even just for the, the fact that, okay, if you put a player like that in, in that situation, you imagine that he might not want to come back either. There might be some sort of parting of the ways. Ryan Suter's numbers, while probably moving in the wrong direction, again, as age catches up to him, still very good. Still a top-pairing defenseman for most teams. Um, and, you know, Ryan, there, there's just there's a lot of reasons you can talk through of why they did this. Yes. I think this is an example of the tough scenario a lot of teams might be in right now, especially with, with big contracts to, to, on their on their roster. Between finances and the expansion draft, some teams might be put in a position to do things that they really don't want to do to get a little bit of relief in the short term, despite the fact it's going to hammer them in the long term. It's, it's, it's like a bad credit card purchase, but your account is what it is, and you need that thing that you got to buy right now. Uh, and right now, you look at this Parisi and Suter. The fact it's both is, is shocking. There is a ton, a ton of dead cap space now. Not this next year, but the two, really three years after that, that's really going to be hard for Bill Guerin to work around. So let's examine that. in in For the upcoming season, 2021-22, the dead cap space because of the buyouts for the Minnesota Wild will be... 4.743 million. So you get really in terms of the full cap hit of, of both contracts, you get about $10 million in salary cap relief. Beyond that, 2022-23, the dead cap for both players is going to be $12.743 million. And then the two years that get even worse than that, 2023-24 and 2024-25, dead cap 14 seven four three million so fourteen point seven four three million for two years twenty twenty three through twenty twenty five that's going to be very difficult for Bill Guerin to navigate around because if you look at the Minnesota Wild as a team as a core of players those are going to be kind of the years where you might be looking to supplement because you think that yeah. they're right within their window and might be one or two pieces away from a timing perspective that might be the worst case scenario out of all this and what's interesting is you look at Minnesota this past year, good team. The youth has started to make uh, real contributions. Finally, uh, for them, Erickson Eck, a breakthrough. Um, but they were a team that, as you say, you're looking to add, not take away. Now, if you're taking away Zach yeah. Parisi, who's not the Zach Parisi of old, uh, and Ryan Suter, maybe in your mind, getting a little ahead of the curve, then a couple of years there might be a drop-off, uh, fine. But the dead cap is going to hurt you. So you got. What are the motivations for this? On the one side, this is a team that now is, I believe, about about five million dollars beneath the cap floor. So they have money to spend in the near term, and we know who they want yep. to spend it on. They're trying to get Kirill Kaprizov signed again. So this gives yes. you more money to play with to perhaps get that done. But you're doing it at the cost of the fact that you're basically going to be paying top six forward money to nobody for three years after that. So that's gonna that you're going to be dealing with a big cap dent anyway for nobody just to perhaps sweeten the pot for Kirill Kaprizov. Now that doesn't really necessarily make a ton of sense. So there's that element. Maybe you're doing this for a little bit more Kaprizov money, among other things. There's the expansion. Yeah, I think go, go ahead. Sorry, Ryan. 
No, and, and I think your point's well taken in terms of, of Kirill Kaprizov. We know that that's a priority for the Minnesota Wild. Same thing with Kevin Fiala. Like Those two players are, are really the, the ones that Bill Guerin has to get locked up and, and make sure that those deals work to kind of navigate you through this stretch where you're going to have so much of your cap tied into uh, assets that don't play for you, that, that mm-hmm. aren't bringing anything to the table on the ice. But, you know, and, and to your first point about in terms of revenue and actual dollars in and out, like this is a, a, a you look at the, the net salaries for what both players were going to get this year. It was $6 million each in real money, in actual yeah. salary. So when you look at what Minnesota is saving, it's nearly $11 million in terms of what they're not going to have to pay this year to Suter and Parise. And I think that that point is, is something that has to be attached to this because of you know the economic, the economic situation that we're dealing with here. Some teams just don't want to have all that that real salary if they don't have to. I, and Ryan, I think that's exactly uh, and it's speculative, totally speculative. But we talked yeah. to Jesse Granger about this yesterday. For the year that yeah. we just came off of, where a lot of teams, I don't know who, I, I have no idea what Minnesota's books look like. This is not an, an, a, a uh, it's it's speculative. I just you have to wonder. There are teams that are not going to be paying up against the cap because of actual revenue, actual physical dollars. We speak so often in these conversations about cap hit. Are you going to meet the cap? How much is it going to be against the cap? Dead cap space. Cap, 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 cap. There's actual physical dollars going out the door to players in these situations. So to to the point you just made, uh, Zach Parisi would have been making, if I'm not mistaken, this coming year it would have been $6 million this year he would have been paid. And then two yeah. million the year after that, then one million, and then one million, and then the deal is done. And I think Ryan Suter's is exactly the same. So yes, instead of that, instead of that, they're now going to pay each of those players eight hundred thirty-three thousand dollars, or eight hundred thirty-three thousand three hundred thirty-three dollars. And it prolongs it a little bit, but you're you're basically paying close to like seventy percent of what that deal would have been. So yeah. it's a redoll a real dollar saving in the long term, and it's a real dollar saving in the right now. What this jumps off the page to me is, even though it's going to hurt their cap, this is the Minnesota Wild saying, you know what? We're going to save a lot of money right now in a year where perhaps financially you're just trying to get your house back in order again after this weird year that we had. That's what this screams to me. Now, of course, both had no movement clauses. Both of them would have had to have been protected in the expansion draft. Remove those two players. You remove those two no movement clauses. Now there's two more players you can protect from Seattle. That's probably a factor too. But this to me screams real dollars. This this looks financial to me. Hey, it's gonna kick our butts for the next few years cap wise, but at least we're out from under the actual dollars and cents burden for these two players for this year. We can spread it out over the next handful. That's that's the most impactful positive I see that Minnesota gets from this. Yeah, I can't really divorce the uh, the financial impact or the financial relief that you're getting in terms of actual dollars and cents from kind of the idea or the narrative that this is done as as simply a way to ensure that the core, the actual core of what the Minnesota Wild are from a player perspective remains intact going into the expansion draft. Like, I do think that when you look at Bill Guerin, when you look at what he's done with the Minnesota Wild in addressing which players he believes are going to help this team move in the right direction towards being uh, a cup contender, 
I, I do think that he's got very specific ideas about what he wants his team to be. And anything that's not really moving that needle forward is expendable. And, and mm. I do think that there's there's a huge element of, you know what, I'm not going into this expansion draft wasting two spots on of my protected player list on two guys that I don't think are part of the core. And so I I like the... I like the fact that that's an element to this and how brazen Bill Guerin has been in really addressing what this team is and trying to figure out ways to push them forward. And I think it's also fair to realize hey, this is the most painful way to do it, right? Because it's yes. gonna, the, the dead cap hurts. It's going to hurt, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to prevent them from doing some things that they're going to want to do. Having said that, they also had salaries that you're going to have a really hard time getting someone else to just flat-out take. Uh, and you would have retained some salary anyway. It, it was it was going to be tough to remove these two from the books. And if you look at these two, they were both signed prior to the 12-13 season. So they won July 1st in 2012, right? Yeah. It was They yes. got Parisi and Suter. Look out for the Wild Dynasty. And we're now nine years into it, and it never happened. It never really happened, and when you look at the youth that they have, and especially on the on the back end, again, the, the Suter buyout is the one that really is surprising, I think, but you're mm -hmm. removing him. Jared Spurgeon's not going nowhere, of course. Jonas Brodeen, you have Matt Dumba. Carson Soucy was, uh, had a great uh, introduction to being a full-time NHLer. They've got good young defensemen, and some of whom, uh, Jared Spurgeon's not exactly young, but they've got money tied into him for a long time still to go to now. It was, it was a guy that you knew you were moving on from sooner or later, and now you, you've got four, four no-move clauses on that roster now. It gives them flexibility in the, most, in the most painful way possible. It at least gives them roster flexibility, and it's going to give a lot more, more minutes to, to younger guys. So what then of the Zach Parise, Ryan Suter matching contracts? Like when we look back on it, right, we know that – the Minnesota Wild signed those deals. Those two players went to play together because they wanted to win. And, yeah. you know, nine nine years later, the the experiment ends in both guys being bought out on the same day. Like, what does that mean for the legacy of Ryan Suter and Zach Parise? Well, their numbers weren't bad when they were there, right? You kind of, you kind of, <laughs> you kind of got what you wanted from the two of them individually. You just right. didn't really supplement. Yeah around them there wasn't really stable goaltending the last handful of years to, to lock that down uh it was they were kind of always in between uh, a youth movement mm -hmm. and going for it um and, and again that's where i say you, you move on from those two as stunning as it is and as cap impactful as it's going to be there was probably not, not a better way of clearing those numbers off the books and again that's why i think it probably the real dollars and cents is part of this um, but also, again, they're both getting older. They're both on the wrong side of the age spectrum you'd want them to be on for the money you're paying them. If it hasn't worked for nine years, it's probably not going to get better. So it makes it, makes it a, a feasible thing to, to cut loose. Um, I, I don't think their legacies attached to them very much. I think it's more a management of like, okay, well, this this really is, you know, we were already in the middle of the Bill Guerin era, but now this really is his team. This is Bill Guerin's roster. Um, what I think is fascinating, Ryan, I'm curious what you think of this. You now have... Right, you know Ryan Suter, who can still play, and Zach Parisi, who also can absolutely still play. He's one of those guys you think a change of scenery will be great for him. They're now being supplemented by the Minnesota Wild. For teams that have cap questions around the league, 
I think they those two are extremely affordable for any team now because they don't have to go for the big deal. Not that they would have gotten the biggest deal on the market anyway, but they can now take really cap-friendly deals for somebody else because they're already getting $7 million over the next handful of years from Minnesota regardless. They're much more attainable for a lot of teams now, I would think. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I look at both of those players, and certainly I believe they're going to play next year. The, the question becomes, what's the best fit, and what does each guy want, right? Like, where do you want to prioritize where you're going to be living? Do you want to prioritize the fit, how much playing time you're going to get? Or do you want to prioritize for both guys, because they have not won a Stanley Cup, do you want to prioritize going to the place where you can win, regardless of what the contract looks like? And when I look at, at Zach Parise, you got a player that just finds ways, right? He's found ways his entire career. He can score goals. He can chip in. There are intangibles there. He's been a captain. He's been a leader. I like and I, I like the idea of Zach Parise going to a team that is maybe one or two pieces away, playing in the bottom six on a very good team-friendly deal and giving it a real legitimate shot of winning a Stanley Cup. And I think the same thing for Ryan Suter, who I still think is, is a top-four D-man. I, I do think that there's an option for him to, to come into a situation and play some legitimate, hard, good minutes for an organization. But I think the, the opportunity to win is still there for both of those guys, assuming their next contracts are team-friendly. I'll tell you what, you, you, the, the list of credential, uh, criteria that you just rattled off for, for Zach Parisi, doesn't that sound like the Islanders? Sure does. The, Isl the Islanders right now, they're in a little bit of a cap crunch themselves. They've got about like, a little under $6 million of space, but they're going to let you know – Guys like Casey Sezikas are probably going to find other uh, other you know greener pastures. They're going to have some movement, some space. But this is a perfect example. Zach Parisi, who they tried to trade for two years ago, and it just didn't come together at the deadline. And his dad is an Islanders legend. He's from the New York area. He gets a chance to go home. He can take money that's convenient to fit. And again, his numbers are are not. Uh, bad anyway he was good two years ago this year was a little bit rough but like look at guys like uh jordan eberle is a great example who went there and and really stepped up his game and and now he's comfortable kind of being out of the spotlight i mean that's a spot that if the if and, and of course also there's lou lamorello who drafted him in new jersey to begin with uh if the islanders can move things around to make that work and make that make sense i mean that 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 kind of sounds like a, an experiment worth taking for both sides yeah, I, I mean, I would go down that road if if I'm Lou Lamarillo, and you know, we we've you know, we've thought about what would have been or what could have been if that trade did go through um, a couple of years ago. But like for me, I think Zach Parise with the Islanders makes a lot of sense. It's going to be depth scoring. He he's the type of player that I think can fit in with what trots is trying to do with the islanders and you get another guy on that roster that can chip in here and there with a goal especially a big goal at a, at a timely uh juncture of the game which we saw him do in the playoffs when he got in for the minnesota wild against vegas for sure um i i think that that fit just makes sense especially mm -hmm. when you consider that the, the the money is almost secondary, or at least when you consider this, it probably should be for a chance to win a Stanley Cup, for a chance to pick a situation that makes um, legitimate sense for all parties involved. I like the idea of Parise to the Islanders. I really do. And, and it's also a player, granted an older player than last time he was in that setting, but a very, very, very productive player as a New Jersey Devil, which again, even then was not a system that 
that breeded uh, offensive dominance. So you're you're putting him in a Barry Trotz, Lou Lamorello organization in a bottom six role. You're not asking him to score 30. Uh, you know that he's he can be a responsible and productive player in that kind of setting. I I'd be curious to see that one because there's a lot that makes sense about it. What about Ryan Suter? Why in terms of what makes sense from a fit perspective? What do you see? What do you see with Ryan Suter? Hmm. You know, that's that's such a tough question because there's so many teams that make sense, right? He he can be a top <laughs> two defenseman that you're not going to have to pay like one. So I mean, right. what what team doesn't need that? Um, every every team needs that. Every team needs that, and again, for for his salary, for the most part, again, it, again, he he might say no, I want big money, and maybe somebody will give it to him. But there's a lot of teams that that would should be able to fit him in for uh, where Ryan Suter is in his career, which is also a guy who's kind of like, hey, I I'm ready to start winning now. I'm, I'm you know we're we're running out of time here. Um, yeah. So you know who's who's going to be letting defensemen walk in free agency? I mean, heck, are the would he be a good Washington Capital if you let Zdeno Chara walk out and you replace him with a, a, a cheaper Ryan Suter? Is that an option? I don't know. T- Toronto, Toronto's got to make moves this summer, right, because they had a really disappointing outcome uh, in, in their postseason run, and they're trying to find answers, and their their usual answer is to try to find the best. Now, they might want to be more of a, a Seth Jones-Dougie Hamilton conversation, but, heck, if you, if you, if you swing and miss on those two, a, a lesser priced Ryan Suter, if that's where the the numbers pan out, that's I, I've already seen people joking about like, oh gosh, this is how Tampa Bay la- mm-hmm. <laughs> adds Ryan Suter yep. to the mix for yep. a million a year. You know who knows? I mean, that's that's where I'm going, right? Like you look at Tampa, David Savard, Luke Shen, they're unrestricted free agents. You know that uh, Tampa is going to be losing a player in the expansion draft and which player that's going to be. That kind of remains to be seen, though. Tyler Johnson's name seems to be the one that makes the most sense. Um, but like in terms of of Tampa, like if you can't come to an agreement or on a number for David Savard, like why not Ryan Suter? For, for like a league minimum deal or, or $1 million per, like I, I think that's a great idea if I'm Julian Breezebois to, to go in there and say, you know what, hey, Ryan, let's win a Stanley Cup together because it's worked over the last two years and Pat Maroon still plays for us. So clearly we're going to be in the Cup final. <laughs> imagine a, imagine a, uh, a friendly-priced Ryan Suter <laughs> joining a Victor Hedman and a Ryan McDonough and, uh, you know, even uh, – Jan Rudo just took a, a leap forward in his change of address. Yeah. My, my my goodness, you know that's we don't have many opportunities uh, to have the NHL conversation parallel to the NBA super te- super team. I'll just go here and win. Uh, that doesn't happen often. <laughs> uh, we we need to we need to think about okay Ryan Suter who still has a lot of market value. Like he's not 38. Like he's not just looking to take some peanuts and like oh, yeah, I'll. I'll uh, play for nothing this year to get a ring. Like he still can command some money, but he has the flexibility, I think, to uh, to to reprice himself to go to the right place. Uh, and we'll also have to see. I mean, Tampa Bay had their their own cap uh, situation this year that they were able to uh, they were able to rectify. We'll we'll say um, <laughs> they got to come down. So I don't know how much adding they need to do before they subtract a lot. So then. In terms of both players, and, and this obviously is, is a Vegas Golden Knights-centric show, so I'm going to throw the question out there for you to answer. 
in terms of Zach Parise, Ryan Suter, would either one of those guys or both of those guys fit some of the needs the Golden Knights have this offseason? Possibly, possibly, and just to well, not correct myself. I said Ryan Suter. He's not 38. Well, he is 36, so he's he's older than I give him credit for. But <laughs> nonetheless, he I don't think he has to basement price himself just yet. Anyway, back to your question. Um, you know, it's it's hard to say with Ryan Suter because you love the back end that you have, and you're trying to make room, like yeah. Jesse Granger said yesterday. You want Zach Whitecloud to have more responsibility. Uh, Alex Petrangelo was phenomenal in the postseason. Uh, and he's going to get top minutes. Uh, you know, do you want to? I, th- I think the, I think they'd love to keep Alec Martinez, right? You're not going to let Alec Martinez go to bring in somebody else. But if he did, if he did go, and that was a, a hole to fill, you know, Ryan Suter's not a bad backup option for the for the right number. Um, so I, I think I think a lot of teams would be interested in Ryan Suter, just how other things shake out. Uh, Zach Parise is interesting. He's interesting because he he here you know here as well would be in a bottom six role perhaps, uh, and can bring some depth scoring and you don't need to commit a lot of money to do it. You don't have to take a huge swing to make it happen necessarily. Uh, the one thing that's just interesting is that as we talked about Jesse yesterday, it is a very winger heavy roster right now. So you know it's. You need to give Zach Parisi enough minutes per night to make an impact. If he's playing, you know, ten to eleven minutes a night, well, you're probably not getting the the max impact you can get from him, regardless. Um, I think it's a I think it's a can that you kick to see what uh, what value is, but probably the number that they're looking to get is what dictates that conversation more so than uh, choosing either of those players over other guys that you already have in your crosshairs. For for me, the the point you touched on with Alec Martinez is kind of where I would lean. If there's an opportunity to bring Alec Martinez back, I think the Golden Knights, that's number one. That's the mission objective for the offseason because I just think the way that he was able to service in Las Vegas has issued a severe thunderstorm warning for Central Lincoln County in South Central Nevada, Eastern Lake County in South Central Nevada, until 5.15 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. At 4.18 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, a severe thunderstorm was located 20 miles west of Pioche, moving east at 40 miles per hour. Hazard, 60 miles per hour wind gusts. Source, radar indicated. Impact, expects damage to roofs and trees. Locations impacted include, Ursine, Pioche, Kiko, Rachel, Meadow Valley Campground, Panaka, Echo Canyon State Park and Cathedral Gorge State Park. For your protection move to an interior room on the lowest floor of a building. For a couple of teams, for Seth Jones and for Dougie Hamilton, and whoever misses, uh, what a consolation prize Ryan Suter can be. I mean, it's it's there's there's going to be appeal there, and and that's where again for for Bill Guerin, this had to be painful, not just in the in the next four years of cap space, but in the here and now. Like he's he's letting go two good players, but one of them was probably on his way out. He's letting go a defenseman who still would have been very very useful uh, to him, and other teams are going to be the beneficiaries of that, and he probably just hopes it's not a team in his division. 
100%. This is a fascinating one. I'm really, um, I'm glad that, you know, the, the hockey gods are shining on us because, you know, we were sitting back thinking about kind of what today was going to bring and the Minnesota Wild drop a bit of a bombshell buying out both Ryan Suter and Zach Parise, freeing up some real dollars this year. But boy, in 2023 through 2025, the cap crunch will be very real for the Minnesota Wild as they navigate the dead cap because of this buyout. We've still got a lot more to get to here on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Pecorine announces his retirement. We break it down next right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. (laughs) Rolling along on a Tuesday. Probably should have let this one breathe a little bit. What a sensory flashback that prompts. Well done. I know, right? I feel late for the bus right now. This is amazing. Chapman, I I don't know why you've upped your game now that Darren is gone, but I appreciate it. I'm (laughs) glad you threw in the opening credits for Doug. Yes. Because we had a conversation earlier today on Twitter about the best Nickelodeon character. And we're not going to get to it right now. But we will before the end of hour one because, Brian, I have to know what prompted your tweet. I have to know which character you lean toward, which one you think is the best of all the Nickelodeon characters. But we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Right now, I'll hold my fire. We should keep it. We right now we should keep it serious. We should really get into Pekka announcing his retirement from the NHL today. Rene played 15 seasons in the NHL, all with the Nashville Predators. Won the Vesna in 2018, was a finalist in 2011, 12, and 15. Four-time NHL All-Star, 369 wins, fifth most in the cap era behind Marc-Andre Fleury, Henrik Lundqvist, Roberto Luongo, and Ryan Miller. Oh, and 60 career shutouts, third most in the cap era. Guys, Pecorine calls it a career, and what a glorious career it was. Honestly, there was there was a good chunk of the last decade where you probably had the the argument of who the best goaltender in the world was. It was Pecorine, Henrik mm-hmm. Lundqvist, and then I felt like a, a rotating cast of characters for a third spot in there, uh, which is funny because both of them won, I think, only one Vezina in that window, one each. Um, but Pecorine was, was phenomenal. He's only a couple years removed from that Vezina. What was it, uh, I think, 18 that he won the Vezina? 17-18, uh, yep. 17-18 that he won the Vezina Trophy. So, you know, this is recent. Uh, when you looked at his, his remarks uh, – this year, obviously, the the Predators had already turned over. You know, they started to turn towards UC Soros, um, but they looked like family was part of it too. He's 38 years old, and and he'd had enough, I suppose. But um, arguably, the best goaltender in the NHL for more than just the one year that he won the Vezina, uh, and and a bit of a a change too for a organization for the like the National Predators that have been around since '97. They're not young per se anymore. There's younger teams than that now, including our own. <laughs> but 
you know, when Pecorine, Pecorine and, and Shea Weber, I feel like, really hit the stage as stars together. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, there were important players to the National Predators, like David Legwand and uh, Thomas Vokun. You know, but it was it was a team that was still trying to find its footing and, and, and find some competitive prowess. It really felt like it was the the wave of Shea Weber and Pecorine with which that organization turned the corner into true Western Conference contenders. So with Weber having gone a couple of years ago now and now Rene gone, it, this does feel end of an era-ish to me uh, for, for the Nashville Predators. I think that's a really, really well-taken point because when you look at the Nashville Predators, of course, over the last 10 years, it's hard to think of Nashville without thinking of Pecorine. And because he was so consistently good for the Predators, and once Nashville kind of turned that corner to becoming a team that legitimately could be considered a, a cup contender. You went to a cup final and were, were deep in the playoffs often. It was because of just how good Pecorine was. There were nights where he just seemed unbeatable. There were nights where he was on so, so well and hard to play against, hard to to, to kind of crack the code on how to beat Pecorine. Uh, for me, you're absolutely right. This is the end of an era for the Nashville Predators. However, you look at this season, you look at Pecorine and, and kind of being around and passing the torch to UC Soros, so to speak. I do think that the Nashville Predators are in a good spot with their goaltending beyond this because Pecorine understood the writing on the wall and what was going on this year. Yeah, and, and to add to that, you guys had mentioned that he did win the Vezina one once. He finished, he actually finished fourth once for the Hart Trophy as well back in 2010, 2011. The irony in that, or the, the, the kind of funny thing about it is, he finished second in the Vezina Trophy voting that year behind Tim Thomas. However, he actually finished higher than Thomas in the voting for the Hart Trophy. So I, I guess you could you could kind of make the case that maybe he should have won two Vezinas, four-time finalist. I mean, the, the one thing that really stood out to me, the the I remember when he won the Vezina, we were we were actually covering the award show and he came over and he spoke with us at we were we we had a, a little booth set up there. I could not get over how big Pecorine was. I mean, he's yeah. he's like what, six five, six six. He's just a huge, huge guy and, and I mean he, he was on top of his game for a long time and, and you know, it's it's I think kind of what you said, there was a little bit of a he understood what was gonna happen or what was going on in Nashville. You see Soros is definitely their future. And he, you know, I mean, look, he's 38. I I know if I could retire when I was 38, I gladly would have retired at 38. <laughs> it's it, oh, you know, it makes it makes me laugh you you saying uh, you know his Vezina uh, vote totals that year versus his Hart Trophy vote. To- it's you know all, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. It, it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to level those two metrics. I I, I just it's, don't get it, right? Like like enough people felt that he was good enough to finish fourth for the Hart, but yet he wasn't good enough to win the Vezina, but he finished ahead of the guy who won the. I don't know. Sometimes I don't understand the voting in these things. Well, and, and that's again the, we talk about the stardom. I think the different metric there probably is is that Pecorine carried a very, very heavy burden 
on his team. You know, that's where you get into the breakdown. Well, what is it? Is the most valuable player overall or to his team? How do you how do you define valuable? But there were many years, even when the Nashville Predators had Weber and Suter together, mm-hmm. you know, and when they had you – know, there, there were some pretty high-octane teams. Many years, Pecorine was their best player, had to be their best player. And, and really changed the culture of, of how the Nashville Predators were perceived around the league. I think a lot more of that goes to Pecorini than we realized at the time, and part of it was because he was so steady, but he was also so quiet. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's now it's Pecorini, we hardly knew ye. You look back at the numbers, and they were astronomical. <laughs> but we knew it at the time. We just allowed ourselves to be distracted by flashier characters at times. And that's why I say again, Pecorini probably should have won the Vezina more than once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you bring up that season in 2011-12, Chris, because Pecorine faced the most shots in 2011-12, 2,153, made the most saves in that season as well. And we often forget that that was kind of his M.O., right? With Pecorine, he was the type of goalie that liked to feel the puck. He he seemed to have his best games when he faced 30 35 40 shots a night and those just seemed to be kind of the way or that just seemed to, to be the way that that he kind of got himself into a groove and there were often times where there were wins where Pecorine just had a ridiculous stat line because he faced so much rubber yeah and and Nashville that year actually was pretty good they did finish second in their division behind Detroit but I mean Boston won the Stanley Cup that year so it's not like Tim Thomas was playing and behind a team or in front of a team however you want to you Put it that stunk. It's not like he he really did any. I mean, he was great, and I'm not taking it away from him. But I think you kind of look at that Nashville team, and you're like, well, Boston was probably better, so maybe maybe Rene did have a better season. I don't know. It, it's always tough played, to look at those he things. Played 73 games that year. 73. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no load management there. No, it's, it's like and and facing a ton of shots. 73 games and facing a ton of shots, and yet was good, consistent, gave you everything that he had. I, I think you're you're spot on, Brian. Like we we probably didn't respect or or value Pecorine enough while we were in it. And now that it's over, now that we have the ability to look back at just how good he was over those 15 years we start to recognize with a little bit more appreciation that this guy was among the very best at that position. And I think we also were unfair. And I remember multiple times preseason, you know, we all like to do our preseason award predictions and, and whatnot. Uh, and we were all waiting for Pecorine to win a Vezina. And he eventually did, but in, I'm talking like the 2012, 13, 14 window. And it was always the, pretty much a he and Henrik Lundqvist conversation, like it was a coming out party. Like, this is going to be the year Pecorine does it, and then he wouldn't win 50 games. And we say, all right, well, on to the next. Who, 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 was, who else was good? <laughs> Whereas, like, we're waiting for a Pecorine coming out party. He's out. He's out there. He's yes. already among the best. Uh, and, and you know, here, here's a question I, I want to frame. Looking at the uh, the notes that you compile, Ryan, it, it is a great stat. Mm-hmm. 369 wins, fifth most in the cap era behind Flurry, Lundquist, Luongo, and Miller. Of those other four names, what do three of them have in common? Hall of Famer. No cups. Mm. And the reason I bring this up is 
I get so tired listening to certain talk shows of any sport. Right now, it's uh, look at the NBA with Giannis in, in Milwaukee. Well, if he doesn't win, he's got to go somewhere else to win. Why? Why can't he stay there, be great, try to make that place a winner? No reason to go chasing rings. And my point being is, thank God in hockey we don't necessarily have that attitude because I would never look at the careers of Henrik Lundqvist, Roberto Luongo, and Ryan Miller and a lack of Stanley Cup rings and say, like, well, I guess they never reached their potential. Nonsense. They were brilliant. And I think even more so you can recognize that because of that perpetual struggle for the reward. Now, I again, Henrik Lundqvist hasn't officially retired yet as he's coming off medical issues and whatnot. Ryan Miller has. Mm-hmm. Roberto Luongo has. Now Pecorine has. Like, all we ever wanted was for them to get one because who deserves it more than they do? And I guess my whole point is we need to stop for certain individuals, and in hockey we largely don't, tying rings to legacy. Because I don't think anyone yeah. thinks that Pecorine's career is lacking because there isn't a ring. We want it for him because he deserved one. But it does not in any way tarnish the fact that he had a phenomenal career that I hope we appreciated as much as we should have. That's such a really good point, too, because I, I, I think especially in, in the NBA, you, you, you get guys who chase rings. I mean, mm-hmm. LeBron James is, is probably the, the guy who, who is, while he's not the first to go with the big three, I mean, he was the guy who was kind of recruiting guys to come play with him so they can win titles. I mean, we know Kevin Garnett did it back in Boston with the Celtics. But, you know, it, it's interesting because hockey, I think, is kind of the one sport where maybe we don't really look at how many Stanley Cups did this guy win in order to really quantify his place in the history books. I mean, it, it, it's it's obviously it helps. And I think it helps a lot of, if you're a goalie. If you, if you win that cup and you, you kind of get to, to put your name on that and, and you can put that on your resume as far as the Hall of Fame. But I don't feel like it's the do-all, end-all. Like a lot of people, like think about Dan Marino, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game. And people largely look at him as a failure because he never won a Super Bowl. And it's like John Elway had that that mantra as well until he actually won. It, it's kind of funny how how we perceive things differently in different sports and I think I think what you're saying there, Brian. I think it really holds true in hockey, where we don't hold, oh well, how many cups have you won over the head of a, of, of individuals when we're looking at their career? And and Ryan, Ryan know, tell I, me what you think for for that too, because I can think of a lot more goaltenders who mm-hmm. were good, not great, but have a couple of rings because yeah. they were in the right place at the right time. I can think of a lot more of those, right. and a lot fewer brilliant goaltenders who never got it or maybe got one at the end who I hold their career in much greater esteem. What's what's interesting to me about it is I think that we have a, a, kind of a, a skewed perspective on which players we need to see championships from and which ones we don't to, to kind of judge their career. I think mm. by and large with goalies, you throw out whether or not they win a Stanley Cup, or at least I do. When I look at Pecorine, especially in the year that they went to the Stanley Cup final, posting a 930 save percentage, a 196 goals against average. Like, there's really not much else Pecorine could have done to try to win that Stanley Cup, right? He was brilliant in the run. He just ran into a team that was better. And that's that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. And we know how difficult it is and how many breaks you need and how many things need to go your way in order to win that I just don't really think that we hold – 
goaltenders to, to the same standard that we would say Alex Ovechkin had he never won a Stanley Cup or Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid or any of those players that, that we kind of expect to win because they're individually great. But that all being said, like I don't view Pecorine in any different light because he hadn't won a Stanley Cup versus if he had won a Stanley Cup. He is one of the best goalies in the cap era, and that is plain as day. And to me, when I look at Pecorine and I kind of judge his career, and you asked the question about Fleury, Lundqvist, Luongo, and Miller, my immediate reaction, I jumped to, those are all guys that I think have a legitimate shot for the Hall of Fame. Some more certain than others, but I think all of those guys belong there. Yeah, I, I I agree. You know, Chris, if you have a thought on this, give it now because I'm gonna. I, I there's something I just want to take a peek at real fast. But where where, where are your thoughts on the Hall of Fame worthiness of, of that uh, set of five? Well, I, I I think all of them are in the Hall of Fame, right? Like Ryan Miller, he he's probably maybe you can make the case the greatest American goalie ever. I mean, he's certainly in the discussion, right? And I think when 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 we look at Mark Andre Fleury, I mean, obviously he he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Three cups, which I know we're we're kind of saying, oh well, that doesn't really matter as much. But three is is I think a pretty big number. Uh, the fact that he is third all time on the wins list, his playoff record speaks for itself. Uh, his the fact that he did get that Vezina Trophy this season, obviously I'm I'm a guy who sees him a lot, so I'm going to say he's a he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, Rene, I, I think he deserves in as well. I mean, I feel like he, he absolutely is a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, when you look at the fact that he he was consistent for a very long period of time. And just wanted to throw this in there because I, I came across it. But uh, that year he finished fourth in the Hart uh, Trophy voting. Leading goal scorer or leading points player or the guy with the most points on that Nashville team in the playoffs. Guy you may know, Brian, Joel Ward. Yeah, <laughs> had 13 points for for that Nashville team in the playoffs. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, I I don't think we should hold it over the heads of goalies because, like you guys were saying, there 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 are a lot of guys who were just in the right circumstance. And I mean, I look at a guy like Carey Price, who for his entire career has kind of been in the wrong circumstance. Do we hold that against him? No, we absolutely shouldn't. So I I don't really feel like, especially like what Ryan was saying in the in the, in the position for goalies, I don't really feel like. It's an end-all, be-all if a guy wins a cup. I agree. And Pecorino, just for overall numbers, he's 19th all-time in wins. He's got a 917 career save percentage of 243 goals. He's in. I, I agree. I think he's in. Everybody around him is in, so he should be in. Uh, the one thing I, I wonder about <laughs> that makes me curious is that, uh, you know, 369 wins, I feel like 300, 325 is kind of the cutoff of wins where we start with that conversation. Uh, and for goaltenders, they're like pitchers. And we talked about the workload he had many seasons, a lot of rubber at Pecorine. I wonder how those numbers are going to be uh, differently interpreted going forward. You know, how many 300-game winners are we going to see going forward from this era on? Uh, Pecorine is absolutely in. But, you know, some of the numbers he put up in just in terms of uh, longevity, durability, and, and utilization, uh, I wonder how many players going forward are going to be in the Pecorine ballpark. 
it'll be interesting to kind of see how that all shakes out. But Pecorine certainly an icon for the Nashville Predators and an icon for the National Hockey League and one of the best goalies in the cap era that you can't really dispute. We're back with more on the other side. Some Nickelodeon talk on the Vegas Golden Knights <laughs> Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. This is the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Now back to Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Really quick, I want to get to the bottom of this tweet earlier today, Brian McCormick. Uh, So the Golden Knights tweet out, nobody, colon, and then us. Nigel Thornberry is the best character in Nickelodeon history. You quote tweeted with um, a, a nice little scene from The Dark Knight. Some men just want to watch the world burn. I, I want to know what prompted your tweet. And really, if you want to rant about Nickelodeon characters, go for <laughs> it, my friend. Well, the, the comments section is what prompted that tweet because nobody agreed and everyone very passionately disagreed. Um, that uh, Nigel Thornberry, uh, it was a good show, but that, that was random to me. I don't think he was even the best character in the Nickelodeon Saturday Nights. It had rocket power in it. I mean, there's a lot of potential there. Uh, my favorite was, and someone else in the comments section had this, uh, Heifer from Rocco's Modern Life. Uh, that's my <laughs> sense of humor, I guess. So funny. Great show. And it's one of those shows I appreciate because – you watch it again 15 years later when you have a more mature sense of humor or a mature understanding of things, and you find that there are a few jokes mixed into that show for the parents as well. There are a few jokes mm-hmm. that didn't make sense yep. when you were nine, but they did when you were 29. Uh, so that was that was my favorite. But but I was I was a Nickelodeon kid. We didn't have Disney Channel. We didn't have Cartoon Network. So I was a Nickelodeon kid. So at the very least, I feel like I'm very well versed for the debate whenever we decide to have it. You know, I, like you, was a Nickelodeon kid for sure, and uh, it's it's never going to get better for me than Tommy Pickles of the Rugrats. Like, this is just a baby on a mission. Nothing was ever too difficult for Tommy to figure out, and he did it all in his diaper. Like, he's just the guy, right? Yeah. He is the guy that you can trust in any situation. He's got his friends back. He's just an overall good dude, and if you ever want to, like, spend some time with conspiracy theories or way out there fan theories about the Rugrats, do yourself a favor because it gets dark real quick and you'll have a new appreciation if you ever watch it again. I can appreciate Chapman. that take. Yeah, I just uh, Tommy Pickles uh, was, was your Jonathan Taves type. You know, just steady, oh, yes. <laughs> talented. You build, you know, Phil and Lil has some flash. Susie Carmichael's the playmaker, but Tommy Pickles, you build around Tommy Pickles. Well, for me, you, you, you got to go with with. <laughs> there, there, there's one direction for me to go, and it's Ren from Ren and Stimpy, because he was a complete sociopath. Like, there's a lot of dark humor in Ren and Stimpy, but for a teenager who had a lot of teenage angst when that show that's that was my teenage years, I would sit down on on the weekend and I would watch that show, and and it was kind of like punk rock music it was like counterculture it was kind of cool right your parents didn't really like the show your mom would say "Eh, why are you watching this there's nothing really good about it it's kind of like i am today with some of the stuff my kid watches on youtube but ren the sociopath chihuahua from ren and stimpy that's my favorite nick character <laughs> you just you, you could 
I'm a fan of the dark humor. You you related to the sociopath. Oh yes, I see myself yes. in him. You're yes. learning. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you're getting a crash course. You're getting a crash course in just who Ch Chris Chapman yes, is. Yes, yes. Yeah, you, do, you don't joy, get that. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Yes, happy, happy, or joy, the infamous joy, joy. log. Right, everybody wanted a log. But, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't get to see this side of me when we're doing the Silver Knights games. So. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. This is what you tune into the VGK Insider Show for. Some serious hockey talk and some fun with, you know, Ren and Stimpy, Tommy Pickles. It's all so very, very good. We are going to get right back into the hockey talk. Hour number two coming up next. Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas.